that most of you know, but some of you don't, that this church used to be located up the road towards Waldorf. Um, some years ago, we relocated to this property to have a little more space and uh, newer building and those kinds of things. But um, back in the 80s, the 1980s, um, we were actually in the property where Best Buy is now. Um, in fact, uh, there's a lot of folks who, if they ever want to renew their vows, will have to go to the sidewalk in front of the store. And uh, it'll be just to the left of the, of the doorway there, and there you can renew your vows because a lot of weddings uh, took place at that spot. But uh, we were down at Best Buy, and as you know, um, it's very close to uh, Berry Road and all the traffic is, that's going on in the intersection there. It's not, not really safe um, there. So uh, there, there was one day back, oh, this must be more than 30 years or so ago, um, uh, I was walking across the parking lot, and there was a little four-year-old boy playing on our property just next to the road. And uh, I knew him. I knew his parents. They were members of the church. And uh, this young lad was playing next to the road, and his parents were nowhere to be seen. And uh, so I obviously, my very calmest voice, said, young man, Wouldst thou like to enter into the house of the Lord with me? Or I said, hey, buddy, come on, let's get in the, in, in the church. Come on, let's go. And he sulked his way across the parking lot. And as he got to the door, he turned to me and he said, four years old, he turns to me and he says, who do you think you are? And he walks in. <laughs> well, when I got to him, I explained who I was. And, uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't do that today. I, I told my mother this story, you know, a couple of days later, and she about had a fit. Uh, um, and she said, do you know what lawyers would do to you? <laughs> and uh, uh, so uh, we, we survived that one. Uh, but, uh, but it was an interesting question. Who do you think you are? And I got to, to looking at that and, and, and mulling that over in my mind because in this scripture, Paul talks about who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? You see, we live in a society that worships at the altar of self-esteem. Uh, no doubt you've picked up that this is one of the most important things you can have is self-esteem. One of the most important things you do as a parent is make sure your child has positive self-esteem, that they always feel good about themselves. It, it's, it's really started to get out of hand. I was reading about a school where they've decided they will not have any more naughty children. They just have children who need their self-esteem built up. And so if a child misbehaves on the playground is picking on another child, you don't go up to them and say, stop it. You go up to them and say, I'm so happy that you're interacting and sharing your life with this other person, but can we think of a better way to do that? And the kid says, no. <laughs> At which point you're, you're supposed to say, I believe you've used up my well of resilience. I'm not making this up. I actually read this. So, uh, you know, we, we worship at the altar of self-esteem. Everything is all about building self-esteem. Now, look, that is, in large part, there's a lot of truth to that. 
There's a lot of truth to that. One of the tasks of a parent is to make sure a child is not injured and, and downtrodden. There, there's a lot of folks who are in therapy today because they've accumulated all kinds of notions that I'm not worth anything. I'm not worth paying attention to. I'm not worth standing up for myself. I'm not worth uh, gaining anything. I'm, I'm just, oh, I'm, I'm not worth anything because I picked that up in their childhood somewhere and now they're in therapy. Now, and if you're struggling with issues of self-esteem, get the therapy. Look, we're all nuts. So, uh, when, you know, we could all use therapy, but go ahead and get the therapy and, and work through those issues because there's something to that. So we need to, to, to not have a, an, an, um, a, a destructive sort of self-image of ourselves. But the other side of that is when it just goes just way overboard. You see, the cult of self-esteem says... Not just that there's something of value in every person. The cult of self-esteem says everything in, your, in, in every person is valuable. And that is just not true. There's something of value in everyone that's true. But that everything in everyone is valuable is not true. Wisdom is a matter of knowing the difference and working towards the positive, the valuable, and getting rid of the negative and the valueless. But we worship at this altar of self-esteem. We need to have a self-image that's positive. But it can get you in trouble when all you want is a positive self-image because more important is to have an honest self-image, a self-image that's true. Uh, some of you read about Eve. Uh, Eve was in the Garden uh, of Eden, and um, uh, she... Probably, I, I would think she had a really good self-image in the garden. Uh, she was there, God had created her, she had fellowship, talked with God every day, he provided for her. I mean, everything was going well, um, and she didn't, <laughs> she didn't have any childhood issues. And, um, and so, uh, Eve, Eve was doing okay, until she fell into conversation with the serpent. Now, the serpent was the most crafty and wily of all creatures. And the serpent came up to Eve and said, Eve. Her first mistake was saying, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, he comes and says, Eve, um, did God actually tell you that you can't eat anything in this garden? You see, the serpent was the first dietitian who, uh, uh, you know, I, I feel like that, that my nutritionist tells me that you can't eat anything like that. Well, he says, is it true you can't eat anything? He said, oh, no, 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 no. We can eat whatever we want. We just can't eat of these two trees here, uh, knowledge of good and evil, tree of life. We, we can't eat of those trees. We can't even touch them. And, of course, that was a little bit of an exaggeration. But, but you know, she was, she was engaging in conversation. And uh, the serpent went along and says, well, Eve, actually, if you think about it, um, God really is feeding you a line. Don't you understand that God has, is, is sort of holding back on you? Why, Eve, don't you know that if you eat of this fruit, and this is the word, you will be like God. You will be like God. Essentially, what the serpent was saying is, Eve, you need to have a better self-image. You need to have a better self-esteem. You, you need to have a better understanding of who you are because you're being held back. And if you eat of this fruit, you'll be like God. And so Eve figured it out. She said, well, you know, maybe that's true. And she looked at the fruit, and it was like really good to eat, and it was pretty to look at. And, 
No, she figured out th this would make me wise, and so she took of the fruit and she ate. And at that point, she figured, you know, I'm just like God. Now, that was a positive self-image. That was a high level of self-esteem, and it just about destroys the human race. You see, you can have a high level of self-esteem, you can have a positive self-image, but if it's wrong, if it's not true, you're bound for destruction. The only thing that will get you from where you are to where you need to be is the truth. You see, the reason there's something of value in people is because God created us. God created us for his glory. And having created us for his glory, he surrounds us in, in, with a universe designed to lead us to him. Now, we've gotten off track from all that, but the value that you see in others is the value they have to glorify God. And by the way, that's where the value needs to reside. If a person's value resides within themselves, something they've done, something they've achieved, that can be outdone, un, undone, and it can be surpassed. If, it's, if, if, if my value resides in me, someone can take it away. But if my value resides in who God is, if my value resides in the fact that God created me, then no one can take that away. And that's a value that we, that, that we honor and we respect in other people around us. So Eve decided that she would have a better self-image, and it, it just about destroyed her life. Let me give you another example. There was a, a guy who was a Pharisee. Pharisees were religious leaders. Uh, uh, they uh, uh, loved the Bible. They loved talking about God. They, they loved doing good things. And so uh, these, these are really fine people, actually. They're, they're very fine people. So a Pharisee, Jesus tells this story, Jesus said, a Pharisee went up to the temple to pray. And when the Pharisee got there, he had like a really good self-image. It was so good, he didn't mind standing to pray where everybody could see him. He didn't mind praying in public. And so as he's standing where everybody can see him, he turns to God and says, God, I just want to thank you for how great I am. I mean, talk about a positive self-image. He says, God, I want to thank you. I'm not like other people. I don't steal stuff. I don't lie about stuff. I don't commit adultery. I, I don't sin. And not only that, God, are you listening? Because I, I want you to get this, God. I tithe. That's right. I'm a regular giver. I support the work of the, of the ministry on a regular basis. And so, God, I just thank you for how great I am. <laughs> this man had a terrific, positive self-image. But there was another man went up. He was a tax collector, a government worker. And, at, and he went into the temple. And when he got into the temple, his self-image was so bad, he couldn't even lift up his head. He went into the temple and he went off to a corner where no one could see him and he couldn't, couldn't even look up heavenward. All he could say is, God, have mercy on me. A sinner. His self-image was as low as it could get, but it was true. Now, because his self-image was true, Jesus said he went out of the temple justified. That is, restored in a relationship with God, his sins forgiven, that he went out now where he ought to be. He grew from where he was to where God wanted him to be. But it's because he got honest with himself and his self-image. The Pharisee, who was very proud of himself, went out of the temple proud of himself, completely alienated from God. You see, it's an honest self-image that's more important. 
That's why those of you in therapy, you know, uh, and, and if you're getting counseling or you're thinking about counseling, that's something that Christians should never fear. You find a good Christian counselor, someone who honors the Word of God and, 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 and adores Christ and will help you work through problems in the, in the light of your Christian faith. We could all benefit from that. But look, we should never fear that kind of counseling because no matter how bad the counseling gets and no matter how deep you see the problems and no matter where that counseling leads you to see things that have been torturous and hurtful and things you've tried to cover up, no matter what, when the truth is exposed, God is already there. And when the truth is made known to you, God has already provided a way to get from that problem to its solution and to its answer. That's why we don't fear looking deep within us because God is truth. But it starts when you have an honest, an honest sort of conception of yourself, an honest um, uh, self-image and a sense of self-esteem. So when we come now to Romans chapter 12, and we do, and we look at verse 3, and Paul starts talking about how do you think of yourself, and he gives them this, this admonition and this warning. It relates to, you know, how do you view yourself? Who do you think you are? Now, Paul puts it this way in verse 3. He says, for by the grace given to me, and, and by the way, that, this isn't just throwaway. <laughs> He's saying the same thing he said in verse 1 when he said, by the mercies of God. He said, because God loved us so much that he sent his son to the cross to die for us so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life because of the mercies of God that reached down to us in our sin and lifted us up out of the pit because of the mercy of God that took us from death into life because of the mercy of God toward us he said I can say these things to you apart from the mercy of God it just becomes so much psychobabble but because of the mercy of God it becomes a life transforming admonition so Paul says, by the mercy of God, I, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone, I just pause to say, he says this to everyone. No matter where you are in the journey, wherever you think you are. You see, I think there were folks in the Roman church, uh, some of them, who felt as though, well, you know, Paul, preach on, they need to hear it. Paul, preach on, there's other people who are struggling, they need to hear it. We're pretty good uh, just among ourselves. We're doing okay just among ourselves. On the other hand, I think there were some people in the Roman church who didn't know how they were going to hang on for another day. They didn't know where they were going to get the strength for another, another day, another week of, 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 of living and trying to remain faithful. So they're at all different stages. But Paul says, here's what I want all of you to take in and what I want to say to all of you, no matter where you are in your journey, you need to hear this. So Paul, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Now, I know some people who think very highly of themselves, and you and I can't stand them. But I know a lot of people who think too poorly of themselves. They don't understand who they are in Christ Jesus. They don't understand who they are because of the grace of God. Oh, I wish I could go to people like that and I'd say, you know, you know who you are, don't you? You're a child of the Father. You're a child of God. You are the one that he had in mind when he set the universe into place. You're the one he was thinking of when he sent his son, the Prince of Heaven, to die in your place. 
You were the one that he loved and adored so much that he wouldn't leave you in your rebellion, in your brokenness, in the shattered nature of your life. You were the one for whom he sent the Holy Spirit to put you back together again. You were the one for whom the angels grow silent when you pray. You were the one for whom when you offer up your petitions and your agony and your heartache to God, the angels take that prayer like an incense burner and they take the sweet aroma of your prayers and they take it to the Father. You are the one for whom the Holy Spirit is making intercession. You're the one for whom the Son of God is making intercession at God's own right hand. You are the one for whom Christ died. You're the one for whom he's returning. And you're the one for whom heaven hath prepared a mansion that you might spend eternity glorifying the Father. That's who you are in Christ Jesus. But Paul then says, I don't want you to think more highly than you ought. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, what does that mean? What does it mean to say not to think more highly than you ought to think? And I think we get a handle on it when we go back and we start remembering what went on in the earthly ministry of Jesus. Um, when, in fact, I, I'll, I'll read just a few verses for you. This is in uh, Luke chapter 22. It starts at verse 24. I'll read it for you. Uh, it says here, a dispute arose among them, among the disciples. They started arguing. Here's what they were arguing about. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. <laughs> I love this. The disciples are walking along. They're arguing about who's the greatest. You know, Peter says, you know, I, I really should be the greatest there at the Mount Transfiguration. You remember that first at the confession of Caesarea Philippi, one of the other disciples says, yeah, can you explain that behind me Satan thing, Peter? Well, no, 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 that's what we're No, Peter, no, Peter, I remember that webfoot incident when you just about drowned. Do you remember that, Peter? Well, let's not talk about that. Peter, do you remember how often you went off without thinking? Peter, I think you're not the greatest. You can't be the greatest because I'm the greatest. I'm the disciple who understands all the parables of Jesus. I'm the disciple who never got confused. I'm the disciple who, who never had to scratch his head and said, what is Jesus talking about here? I'm the disciple. No, I don't think you're the greatest. Maybe John or James says, I don't think you're the greatest. I think uh, we, we must be the greatest because after all, we're, we're the sons of thunder. Yeah, yeah, you're great. Remember time you wanted to call down fire and brimstone on a village because they rejected you? Well, let's not talk about that. No, let's talk about that. Jesus said you were off off base right there. And what are they arguing? How do they argue that they're the greatest? How does that happen? But they're doing what we do. We may not argue with each other, but we do things like, hmm, I don't have to put up with that. Why? Because I'm greater. I mean, you don't say it that way, but that's what you're thinking. I don't have to forgive that person. Why? Because they're not good enough for me to forgive. I don't, I don't have to be more loving. I don't have to serve that person. Why not? Because they're beneath me. They're not worthy of my time, my sacrifice. And we find ourselves with the disciples, and we're not using the same words, but we're basically arguing about who's the greater, who's the greatest, who deserves more out of, out of God's grace. And so a dispute arose, who is the greatest? Here's how Jesus answered them. He said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. I mean, if you want to get into this greatest thing, then just go out into the world, go out into the, into the world of the Gentiles 
And there you'll find people who are really impressed with rank, position, office space, uh, you know, your title, your wealth, your power, your authority. If you want to see that, you go out in the world and you'll find that there. But this is Luke chapter 24, verse 26. Some of you need to cross-stitch this and put it over the door of your house. It says this, not so with you. Not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. At this point, the disciples are uh, singing a chorus of that favorite hymn, Hubbada, Hubbada, Hubbada. There's Jesus again, talking in a way they, they couldn't, couldn't imagine. He says, if you really want to get a handle on what's going on here, you'd be a servant. You'd be the least of all. And unless you, you start to think, well, that, that's so much poetry, that's just the way of Jesus talking. The, one of the last things he taught his disciples before the cross, before he was crucified, one of the last things Jesus taught them was to be servants. And here's how he did it. That evening when he knew he was going to be betrayed, he looked at his disciples and he knew they belonged to him and he knew, knew them so deeply and intimately. And the Bible says he loved them to the end. That means he loved them to the uttermost. And out of great love for his disciples, he got up from the table and he took off his garments. He came back into the room and he had a bowl and he had a towel. And he got on his hands and knees because that's the only way you can wash feet. He got on his hands and knees and he began to wash the feet of the disciples, going from one to the other to the other. Came to Peter and Peter said, oh no, Jesus, you don't need to wash my feet. After all, I'm greater than these other guys. Jesus said, no, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. And Peter said, oh, well then, wash all of me. <laughs> you can just see Jesus, you know. Oh, Peter, come on. I'm, I'm making a point here. <laughs> Not all of you need to be cleansed entirely. One of you does. And Jesus kept washing the feet of the disciples, and he came to the feet of Judas Iscariot. And there on his hands and his knees, Jesus washed the feet of Judas Iscariot. And Judas led him. And when he was done, Jesus got up and he went back and he put on his garment. He came back and he said, guys, do you realize what I've done? You call me Lord and you call me master and you do well because that's exactly who I am. But if I, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash the feet of one another. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Do not think of yourself as being higher than Jesus, who was a servant. Do not think of yourself as being higher than Jesus, who washed the feet of the one who would betray him. Do not think yourself higher than Jesus, who from the cross pleaded with the Father that he would forgive those who didn't know what they were doing. Do not think yourself higher than Jesus, who came to give his life a ransom for many. Do not think yourself higher than Jesus. I think that's what Paul has in mind here. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. 
In fact, later on, we won't look at it, but later on in, in Philippians 2, uh, Paul says you need to have this kind of mindset within you. First of all, you need to look out for others more than you look out for yourself. He says that in Philippians 2, 3. And then in verse 4, he says, and, and you need to have this mind within you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, talk about a high ranking. Though he, in, he, he was in the form of God, did not think equality with God a thing to be clutched or grasped or hung on to, but rather emptied himself and became a servant, taking the likeness of man and being found in the fashion of a servant. He became obedient, obedient even unto death. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, whether in things in heaven or things on earth or things underneath the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Do not think yourself more highly than Jesus, that somehow what was okay for Jesus is not okay for you, because the problem with the cult of self-esteem and the cult of self-image is it leaves God out of the equation. It leaves Christ out of the equation. But when Christ is put into the mix, he's put into uh, the, 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 the thought process and the, and the reasoning process, then everything comes into focus. And that's why we are unafraid to confess our sins because our Savior is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's why we are unafraid to live boldly for God because though we stumble and even if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father who is Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. We are unafraid to live lives of service and ministry because when we do, by the miracle working power of the Holy Spirit, someone sees Jesus in us. And that is the greatest value you can have. Paul says, I plead with you. I'm, I'm begging you on the basis of grace. Don't think of yourself more highly than you should think, but have an honest notion of who you are. It's a child of God in Christ Jesus. So very quickly, I just, I just want to give you this as, as sort of a, uh, a, a challenge for the week, um, and that is to just answer the question, who do you think you are? I don't know, maybe I should say, who do you think you are compared to who you really are? Get brutally honest with yourself. But in, in that question, who do you think you are? I'm, I'm, you know, the, the, the goal of the, of the process is to come up with an honest understanding of who you are. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, who you are in Christ, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've got to start with where, how God sees you as sinner condemned, unclean. Because until you come to that honest appraisal of who you are, you cannot, you cannot move uh, and be moved by the Spirit into the grace of God begins with that honesty and that confession of faith. But as a child of God, as a believer in Jesus Christ, just answer the question, who am I? I'm, 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 I'm a child of God. I'm, I'm bought by the blood of the Lamb. I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then answer the question, do you think of yourself more highly than you ought? Because do you think of yourself as being beyond who Jesus is? And somehow his life is unworthy of yours. Because I think you'll come to the conclusion 
if the Holy Spirit's talking to you at all, and he will, you'll come to the conclusion that my life needs to be like Jesus. It needs to show who he is. So that the next time somebody says, who do you think you are? You can tell them, I'm a child of God, bought by the blood of the Lamb and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that's who we are. Let's bow together. Father in heaven, thank you for grace. Thank you that it's not our works, our achievement. Father, thank you that it's not the things that we amass. But Father, it is solely your grace, solely by the blood of Jesus, solely because of the work of your Holy Spirit, solely because of who you are. And so, Father, I pray for the folks in this room. Some do struggle with issues of, of self-esteem and, and image, but, I, Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would, would help that person to work through the issues under the guidance and the wisdom that comes from above. Others of us, Father, are too taken with ourselves and too impressed with ourselves. I pray for the humbling work of your Holy Spirit that we would see more clearly where we are, who we are, and the work and the ministry that you need to do in us. But Father, all this, I pray for your glory, that Jesus would be honored and adored, that we would rely more and more upon your Holy Spirit, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen.